This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. Roland covers the pharmaceutical industry, and a lot of what she writes about will probably sound familiar. Drug prices are really high. Drug companies are making huge profits. Consumers are missing out, and, and everyone else is paying too much. But this is not that story. This is a strange story about a little corner of the industry where it's the opposite, really. Denise has been writing about a kind of drug company that can't make money. These are companies that develop new antibiotics— Drugs that are crucial to our healthcare system. As new drug resistant bacteria crop up, we have fewer and fewer tools to fight them. New antibiotic makers are creating our last line of defense new drugs that'll work when all of our existing antibiotics have failed. These are life saving treatments, but that doesn't make them good business. This year, Denise learned, almost all the companies churning out these new antibiotics could go bankrupt. Companies are meeting what is arguably one of the biggest public health needs, but they can't make it work. They can't make enough money and they're going bust. Today on the show, why one of the most important medicines in the world can't make money and why it's a public health disaster in the making. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. And I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Monday, January 13th. The plight of antibiotics companies today is a stark contrast to their situation just a few decades ago. Up until the 1980s, developing and selling antibiotics was big business. You know, after penicillin was discovered, it did kick off this great golden age of antibiotic discovery. Almost every big pharmaceutical company at the time was in this area. Drug discovery is never easy, but discovering new antibiotics was relatively easy compared to how it is today. Most antibiotics come from natural sources like the soil. Penicillin famously came from mold. So pharma companies were effectively mining the natural world for these compounds and discovering them all over the place. Developing antibiotics from nature wasn't a big scientific lift. And there was a huge market for new drugs— When antibiotics first went on sale, they transformed human life. At the beginning of the 20th century, average life expectancy was 47. Tuberculosis, childbirth and surgery routinely killed people. You know, you could get an infection from something as simple as a graze or a paper cut. And if it spread to your blood and got really bad, there's nothing doctors could do to help you. Antibiotics changed all that. And as the antibiotics industry grew... Doctors started using them not just to treat life-threatening infections and illnesses, but to treat all kinds of things, including some things they probably shouldn't have been using them for. They almost handed them out like candy. I think um, I can remember, you know, as a child being given an antibiotic for what was probably a cold caused by a virus. Antibiotics are completely ineffective against viruses. But I think doctors just kind of gave them out as a belt and braces thing. 
This was great for the antibiotics industry. At the peak of the market, one antibiotic pulled in $2 billion a year, making it a bona fide pharmaceutical blockbuster. But then, Denise says, something happened that changed the economics for drug companies and started a downward spiral for the industry. That endless supply of new, natural antibiotics they'd been mining for decades? That kind of dried up in the 80s. They basically picked all the low-hanging fruit during the 50s to 70s. You know, kept trying during the 80s and part of the 90s, but we actually haven't had a new class of antibiotic approved since 1980. Oh, wow. Everything that's been approved since then has been a kind of tweak on an existing class. After all that low-hanging fruit was picked from nature it became way more difficult to come up with new antibiotics. And for drug companies, investing in that more difficult development was becoming less worth it, partly because people only take antibiotics for a week or two. For pharma companies, the real money is in drugs that people take for years. Think Lipitor for cholesterol or Prozac for depression. Pharma companies were doing the math and dropping out of the antibiotics development business, And this was just as it was finally becoming clear how much the world needed companies to be developing new drugs. Ever since the discovery of antibiotics, there had been warnings that the drugs might not work forever. When Alexander Fleming accepted his Nobel Prize for discovering penicillin, the first antibiotic, he told his audience that as the drug became more widely used, bacteria could evolve a, quote, resistance. And what exactly is penicillin or or any type of antibiotic resistance? How does that actually work? So bacteria, like animals and plants, evolve all the time. They actually evolve faster than us. Every time a bacteria splits, there can be changes. And so what happens is if a bacteria evolves a way to overcome an antibiotic, that strain will have an evolutionary advantage. Right, because it's... It's basically just survival of the fittest. If you use an antibiotic and you kill 99% of the bacteria there, then the 1% that survives is resistant, and then they're the one that spreads, and the cycle just repeats itself. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So the huge like overuse of antibiotics in the later half of the 20th century accelerated that process. You know, antibiotic resistance was always going to happen, but it sped that process up by giving bacteria more of an opportunity to overcome the drugs. For years, resistance wasn't really an issue because there were so many new antibiotics hitting the market. If one antibiotic couldn't treat your infection, you could just hit it with another one. But by the 90s, with the new drugs drying up, Alexander Fleming's warning seemed increasingly real. One important moment for public awareness was the MRSA outbreaks. So MRSA is a bacteria that's resistant to a descendant of penicillin called methicillin. MRSA, or MRSA as it's sometimes called, is basically an antibiotic-resistant staph infection. In the 90s, you started seeing methicillin-resistant bacteria spreading around communities. And those outbreaks would continue through the last decade. Wrestlers and cheerleaders at a local high school had a brush with a potentially deadly infection. Parents left in the dark about an infectious disease at an Albuquerque high school. The LAPD is dealing with a Mercer outbreak at their West Valley Division. At least three officers have been infected. And I think that's when alarm bells started sounding and, you know, people remember MRSA. With outbreaks like MRSA, doctors saw the consequences of overprescribing antibiotics 
and they stopped giving them out the way they used to. That made an increasingly bad business even worse. So by the early 2000s, the pipeline for new antibiotics was virtually dry. Alarmed that Big Pharma wasn't making new antibiotics anymore, the U.S. government stepped in. It created grants to help antibiotics companies through the research and development phase. And in 2012, Congress passed a law to make it easier for companies to get FDA approval for new antibiotics. Small antibiotics companies popped up to take advantage of the new assistance. Companies like Acaeogen. Started in 2004. Its main drug was called plasomycin, which is an antibiotic that was designed to overcome a type of bacteria that's resistant to the carbapenems, which is a class of antibiotics. Acaeogen was working on a drug to kill a particularly nasty type of bacteria that can cause urinary tract infections. UTIs are incredibly common and usually no big deal, unless the bacteria causing your infection is drug-resistant. Acaeogen thought their drug could help with those kinds of UTIs, and the company took full advantage of the new government money and speedier drug approval process. They were much beloved by, you know, the FDA. The FDA gave them breakthrough therapy status when they kind of got on with their clinical trials. They enjoyed a lot of the benefits that had been rolled out by the government to support antibiotic development because their program aligned perfectly with the aims of the government in getting more of these types of drugs out there. At first, Acajan seemed like a promising business. At one point, the company was valued at a billion dollars. And in 2018, its new drug got FDA approval and was finally ready for sale. It was approved to treat UTIs, one of the two uses Acajan had applied for. But paradoxically, this is where the company's real problems began. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Global X ETFs. Buzz around artificial intelligence is seemingly everywhere. Is your portfolio keeping up? Consider the Global X Artificial Intelligence and Technology ETF, ticker AIQ, which invests in dozens of stocks at the leading edge of this disruption. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Technology companies can be affected by rapid product obsolescence and intense industry competition. Before investing carefully, consider the fund's objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in the full or summary prospectus at GlobalXETFs.com. Read carefully. Distributed by SEI Investments Distribution Company. Welcome back. After more than a decade of research, Acaeogen was finally ready to go to market with its new antibiotic in 2018. Most of the time, if you're a drug company and the drug you've been working on for more than a decade gets approved... It's a really great day. I've heard an anecdote that at Genentech, which is the big Californian biotech, every time they get a, an FDA approval, everyone gathers together into a courtyard and rings a bell. Everyone rings little bells. <laughs> It's a major achievement. It's the culmination of, you know, usually more than a decade of work. 
and it's a huge relief because you've taken away what is the biggest risk to a drug company, which is that something will happen in the regulatory process that means their drug is either delayed or doesn't get to market. So, yeah, it should normally be a day of joy. But for Acajan, it was the beginning of a very difficult struggle. The day after Acajan's drug got FDA approval, the company's stock dropped by 20%. Government money had helped the company through years of R&D, and new policies had helped it through the drug approval process. But those tweaks hadn't solved the bigger issue, which is that the market for new antibiotics is broken for a few reasons. The first has to do with the way hospitals bill for treating infections. So at the moment when a hospital treats a patient with an infection, they are paid this like fixed fee, regardless of what drugs they use. It's like this is the price of treating someone with an infection. If they use a pricier, newer drug, they will then make much less money and it is like a financial penalty. And so there's this economic disincentive to using new antibiotics. How big of a price difference is there between one of these newer antibiotics and one of the ones that's been around for longer? It's basically a few dollars versus a few thousand dollars. Oh, wow. So enormous. <laughs> Orders of magnitude different, yeah. Hospitals lose money when they choose new antibiotics over old ones. That keeps demand for new antibiotics low. and makes it hard for companies like Acajan to stay in business. But even if that economic disincentive was solved, new antibiotics developers would still face a pretty fundamental problem— which is that hospitals really shouldn't use their products all that much. Remember, the way you preserve the power of new antibiotics is by not using them. They're supposed to be a weapon of last resort. It would be right not to use new antibiotics all that much anyway. You want to keep them for the most challenging cases. You're kind of reserving them. It's so paradoxical because here's something that is so important and that is so needed, and yet... Companies aren't able to make any money investing in it. Yeah, there's a huge disconnect between the value to society of these things and the financial value that they're being given. It is a classic market failure. Drugs make money because they get used. That's pretty standard and kind of expected. New antibiotics shouldn't be used that liberally. They should be saved up for the worst-case scenarios. But we need them to be there as an option. One expert I've spoken to on the topic compares it to a fire extinguisher. He says you should pay for the fire extinguisher because you want it to be there. You don't pay for it when you've got a fire and you're putting it out. Antibiotics are more like that than they are like regular medicines. Mm -hmm. But then unlike fire extinguishers, the fires are not adapting at all times and the fire extinguishers don't need to be updated (laughs) in order to make them uh, (laughs) work. It's true. Yeah, this is an even uh, tougher problem to solve um, because, yeah, I guess new fire extinguishers aren't, aren't competing with old generic fire extinguishers that are much cheaper. <laughs> Acajan's investors knew about these market problems going in. They never thought the drug would be a bestseller. When Acajan's drug launched, they were expecting to make about $3 million in the first quarter. But even by that modest standard, Acajan's drug launch was... Pretty miserable. So in their first quarter, they made about $300,000. So it was a tenth of what the market was hoping for. They just couldn't shift this drug. People were really using it very, very sparingly. And it just became clear that this was going to be a really big uphill struggle. 
To survive, a Cajun laid off staff, including researchers working on new drugs. The thing got cut right back down to a skeleton just to try and launch this drug, just to try and, like, eke out enough sales to kind of keep it going. But, I mean, within a year, they'd filed for bankruptcy, so it all unraveled very quickly. The company folded last April. It had spent roughly $300 million to develop plazomycin. As part of the bankruptcy, Acajun sold it to another drug maker. For now, it's still available, but there's no guarantee its new owner will keep it on the market. And Acajun is not a one-off story. Sadly not. So it was the first domino to fall. Um, the second domino fell at the end of December. That was a company called Melinta that had a number of antibiotics on the market, not just one. It fell for bankruptcy at the end of December. There are two other companies that say they only have enough cash for the next six to nine months. How significant is that? It's significant because it represents pretty much every small company that's launched antibiotic. So it's almost 100% if you're a small company with an antibiotic. What's at stake if these companies go under? So there's, I guess, an immediate impact is uncertainty about their drugs. These are drugs that the market does need, even though they're not using them very much. So there is a risk that when they go bust, you know, nobody takes them on, nobody sees them worth selling. um, And so we lose them. The longer term and maybe bigger impact is that the pipeline will dry up. Venture investors are getting cold feet. They're seeing that this is the fate, eventually, of antibiotics companies. And if the venture investors left, that would have a major impact on new R&D going forward. And so within, you know, another 10 years, the pipeline could be dry. Policymakers are trying to fix this. In the U.S., there's a federal proposal that would let hospitals bill Medicare for the full cost of important new antibiotics to try and get rid of that economic disincentive not to prescribe them. And this year, the U.K. will pilot a model that's kind of like Netflix. Hospitals will pay a regular subscription to access new antibiotics, regardless of how often they use them. The question is whether any fix will happen in time to help the antibiotics makers who are currently running out of money. In some ways, it sounds like this could be a year of reckoning. Yeah, I think it is. This is the year that, you know, a number of people have said something needs to happen or there are going to be more bankruptcies. What happens this year will determine whether this is the year that the model was fixed or this was the year that the first wave of antibiotic makers became these, like, sacrificial lambs to highlight the issue and spur action faster for the next wave of companies. That's all for today, Monday, January 13th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like the show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We're out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.